Welcome everyone to the Behind the Budget Podcast. I'm Carl Cunningham and I'm joined by my co-host Kushik Paul. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing terrible. There's so much video game news to talk about. Been out for a while and there's E3 and so many things have happened. Well, today is your lucky day because it's actually been fairly dry in movie land. So I think today is all about it's going to be all about video games and E3. So what do you think? I think let's get started then. All right. Starting off with the earliest story, PlayStation had some had an investor meeting. Sony, I guess, had an investor meeting and had a lot of slides about PlayStation. And this is out of Eurogamer, Wesley Yimpool. I'm only gonna, I'm not even gonna quote the article. I'm just gonna pull out things from those slides that the article talked about, showing where PlayStation is right now. They're talking about the huge growth potential. Starting with, they uh, they love to talk about the fact that they have an older demographic. When you compare PS1 owners to PS4 owners, they clearly see a shift in age groups where much there are much older people, let's say from 45 to 55, that now have PS4s than they did PS1s. Their argument is, hey, a lot of PS1 owners stuck around. But I would argue, you know, how many fell off during like the PS3 debacle? How many switched over to Xbox and came back for PS4? We don't know, but they love to tell the story about, hey, we have a lot of brand loyalty. And I'll give it to them. They do. Yeah, like I can kind of, I can actually say that from experience because my first console was the PlayStation 2. Then I switched to the Xbox 360 and then I went back with the PlayStation 3. Interesting you went back to 3. Well, that was when Uncharted was coming out, and I saw that game, and I was like, yes, I got to have it. You know what? That's understandable. Yeah, that game <laughs> would do it. It was Uncharted 2 specifically. Uh, yeah, that game will definitely do it. Yeah. Another huge bump is that the female population is growing. Uh, uh, of all the PS1 owners, 18% were female back then, and now of all the PS4 owners, 41% are female. So that's looking better and better day by day. Um, they also did a nice launch lineup comparisons and specifically the Metacritic scores. Uh, we had kills on Shadowfall, 73, Knack, 54, Resogun, 84, and honestly, some boring PS3 and Vita ports. Now they compare that to Spider-Man Miles Morales, 85, Demon Souls, 92, Sackboy, 79, and what they said, what they showed were some exciting PS4 titles over backwards compatibility. Now, some caveats being Spider-Man Miles Morales, also on PS4. Sackboy, also on PS4. Demon's Souls, it's a PS3 remake. Uh, and the PS4 backwards compatibility might say, well, you know, the system already plays those games as a count. I think it does because a lot of those titles got patched to take full advantage of the PS5 with their uh, 60 frames per second modes. I personally have been playing Ghost of Tsushima and that greatly benefits from that 60 frames per second mode it, it does it really does yeah so uh, out of all these three together we they are painting this picture of hey there's huge growth potential in ps4 in general and they want with ps5 they're poised to take higher than 50 percent market share which i think is a very very difficult task considering you have nintendo switch and you have xbox with game pass so We'll see how they do, but I still love the fact that they were able to highlight the female population 
of game of console owners growing and that correlates to female gaming everywhere across the board on every system so that's always great to see it's always great to see and it's also great that we're also seeing the games that really reflect this emerging demographic like they also highlight specifically in these slides i'm seeing uh they talk about the on the playstation 5 part they talk about the last of us part 2 which is heavily female driven and of course on the gender slide they very prominently smack dab in the middle is Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn, and guess what? She's getting her sequel pretty soon. All very good points. And that slide is one of the nicest things to look at to see just how much female representation is there. Yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Right, so the next part was talking about their current subscribers or just users so we have 48 million playstation plus subscribers which even at the low end when we pay for the deal of 60 dollars a year or even with sales we're getting around 2.88 billion dollars a year in revenue that's a lot of green but that's not all profit they have to pay for those deals of free games they also have to PlayStation Plus in general is used to pay for the back end of PlayStation Network, paying for all those servers, all that online multiplayer is paid through that. So it's, it is a good sign that it's growing. And overall, in general, people are pretty positive about it. We'll, we'll see that how that really compares to other services. So they mentioned growth in Europe in the future. However, if I remember correctly, Sony kind of left Europe. Their office in Europe of Sony Publishing kind of was axed and main publishing moved over to the U.S. away from Japan. So it's weird that they kind of optically it seems like they didn't care that much about Europe. But now they're showing, no, it's a great area for growth. We're going to focus. It's funny you say that. I, I it's funny you mentioned that and how I'm reading this because when I was living abroad in London, not even two years ago, it was like everyone I've ever saw only ever had a PlayStation. Like I did not see an Xbox anywhere. Well, yeah, Xbox does not have a good hold in Europe at all. They have a great hold in South America, but not in Europe. Interesting. Yeah. So moving on another subscription playstation now they touted 3.2 million users now just to compare game pass 23 million as of april 20 2021 game pass came out after so baby step baby steps i mean playstation well, now came out first it's just it's just so hilarious isn't it well, it just shows which ones the companies care about. Like, PlayStation really wants PlayStation Plus to do well. They've put mm -hmm. some effort into the free games they've given, and Xbox has put, I would say, very little effort into the free games on their Xbox Live Gold because yeah. they're putting all their energy into Game Pass. And energy yeah, like, meaning resources. It, the resources and the manpower and even the games that are coming, and I'm sure we'll touch on what those games exactly are in just a minute so right and the final thing to take out of those slides were pc releases they showed as hey that's a great place to make money they already released horizon zero dawn 
mainly because Horizon Forbidden West is coming out soon. They are, uh, at the time of the slides, Days Gone was planned to be released. I know it released by now. And overall, it's getting a jump in player base. And the huge announcement that was just buried in slides, they are looking at Uncharted 4 to bring. And my question is, what about the other Uncharted's? Yeah, that's the thing that jumped out to me too is, okay, if you're releasing Uncharted 4, are you doing like a giant Nathan Drake collection type bundle or what are you doing there? I think people saw like the sales of Uncharted 4 versus all the PS3 titles plus the Nathan Drake collection and they're like, okay, clearly people like Uncharted 4 the most. And as someone who owns both, yeah, Uncharted 4 is leagues better. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah. Uh, just gameplay story and just sheer oh my god look at that oh it's not even the it is like you mentioned the story it's so nuanced it's so well written the gameplay got so much better and dynamic Mm -hmm. there's a lot of jank to those original ps3 games that kind of went away with uncharted 4 right so the next thing i wanted to touch on was switch sales so you know, PlayStation is nowhere in E3. Well, Nintendo is. Microsoft is. Well, let's see where the companies are kind of at before we talk about what they showed off, right? Mm-hmm. So from VentureBeat, this is Dean Takahashi. Again, uh, uh, all that really mattered that I took out of the article for me was Switch has now sold 84.59 million consoles. 3DS was... The closest competitor to 3DS was 75.94 million. And I had listed out the top selling consoles of all time. Number one, PS2, as expected, 155. DS, 154. Game Boy, Game Boy Color, 118. PlayStation 4, surprisingly, 115. PS1, 102. For back then, that's insane. Wii, 101. PS3, 87.4, and now it's Switch, 84.59. Now, just to be clear, out of all those consoles, Switches, Switch and PS4 are still kind of current gen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still kind of selling, and PS4 is at the tail end. So basically, those are as high as those consoles will get. Switch is the current one that's actually selling, and it will climb up. It will be PS3, without oh. a doubt. Oh, it, without a doubt, especially with what they've got stacked up over the next two years. Uh, you think it'll beat Wii at 101? It might come within a teeth of it. It might, but don't quote me on it overtaking it. I'm going to say it'll overtake it. I think, think it so? can even overtake PS4 and probably Game Boy. It can't overtake DS just because of the sheer low-cost nature of yeah. those families but uh yeah it could be the third best-selling console of all time and let's be clear like they they had the switch which is a runaway success great Mm -hmm. games they had switch Lite, which was hey let's get some of that game boy ds money for you know a cheap alternative for kids now the rumor is and it's all about confirmed that there will be a switch pro that's squarely targeted at people like me who will easily buy the newer version and double dip essentially into that system so you're setting yourself up for a huge growth of sales and consoles 
And not to mention, the, the real killer thing about the Switch is this attach rate with Nintendo games, first-party games. Um, the last number for Animal Crossing New Horizons was 36 million units sold. With 84.59 Switches, that's, close, that's over two-thirds of people with a Switch have Animal Crossing, a game that was so niche before 2020. Yeah, like, I guess this is just me speculating, but I think the idea of a video game allowing you to explore the great outdoors and have your own little private island sounded very appealing to people in a time when we couldn't exactly go outdoors, could we? I mean, yeah, people have speculated that to death. It's just a weird one where that series of all series taking that high a jump animal crossing is the number two best-selling switch game number one is mario kart by like one million that is shocking that something so niche even if it is playing to the right time right place i think if the switch wasn't as uh how should i say this as pleasing as it was like mm-hmm. how well it worked, how well, how easy it is to get up and running. If it didn't make sense, the game, even though it hit at the right time perfectly, it still wouldn't be as big. The Switch kind of helped it. Right. Yeah. So the next thing, we went from like how well Nintendo's doing with its hardware sales and its game sales. Well, what are they going to show at E3, right? The big shocker was Metroid Dread. Which has yes. been a rumored game since yes. DS. This is a go- sequel to Metroid Fusion from Game Boy Advance. And it is the first true, pure, new 2D Metroid in 19 freaking years. And many would argue Nintendo shouldn't be doing this. The indies do it better. To which I say, screw you, it's Metroid, I'll take it. All right. Well, the best news for me was Mario Party Superstars. My God. Finally a Mario Party that isn't bad, that takes the old maps and actually will probably play well. Probably. God, I miss Mario Party. Asterisk mark there. Let's hold down the enthusiasm. I'm very excited about Metroid Dread. So you have Mario Party, I'll have my Metroid. (laughs) There was also making people happy with Advance Wars collection coming out. Mm -hmm. Advance Wars 1 and 2, which I'll be honest, I have no idea what they are, but people seem extremely excited about it. I think it's... uh, It's turn-based RPG, but I had no idea it was as big as that. But anyway, the final thing that they teased until the very last second that drove me crazy was Breath of the Wild 2 footage. Yes. Uh, They really teased it out, making you wait for it. Going through Hyrule Warriors DLC, going through a new Game & Watch with Zelda. Going through the Switch port of Skyward Sword. And it was like... It was like a continual teasing of, yes, we know you want it, but you got to sit through this first. This is the yeah. vegetables to our dessert. Yeah. What's interesting is um, when we look back at Wii U, we know we had those GameCube ports. So we had Wind Waker and, um, damn it. Twilight what? Princess. Twilight Princess, yeah. 
And those were some of the best critically acclaimed Zelda games, best selling, best critically, put on Wii U, mm-hmm. arguably a dying platform. On Switch, they don't need to put their heavy hitters. So, you know, we got like Zelda uh, Link's Awakening, a remake right. of the Game Boy game. Mm-hmm. And now we have Skyward Sword, which surprisingly, critically acclaimed. Many people will go back and say, eh, was it fairly? I wonder. Like, yeah, go. Yeah, it's sort of like whenever a new Zelda comes out, the gaming critics are going to go absolutely insane for it and will give it 10 out of 10s all the time because it's Zelda. Yeah, but most of the time it's justifiable. Well, I mean, yeah, I could mo- I could kind of see where critics came from where, you know, we had been promised and promised the Wii, the Wii Mote is your sword you know mm-hmm. it's and in twilight princess it was just waggling like you can yeah. replace this with a button there's no point to this motion control well in skyward sword there was finally a reason for it it was designed around that that you could directionally cut enemies and i think that was so appealing to critics like hey nintendo finally gave us the game we wanted mm-hmm. it was just bogged down by some poor game design decisions like very handholdy and things like that. I very much wonder because like the reputation of Skyward Sword has gotten much lower over time. Mm-hmm. How many people will give Skyward Sword on Switch a try? Because we saw what it does to Animal Crossing. We saw what it does to like Splatoon of all games. It skyrockets those sales. What'll it do for something that people don't have the best reputation of? Well, also, you also have to keep in mind that the control scheme is going to be a lot different this time around. Well, the motion Techn- side motion Techn- side will be there. Yeah, the motion side is technically still there. But how many people are actually going to do with the motion side? Very little, considering Nintendo showed a demo of how to avoid using motion and how to use the sticks instead. Exactly. Yeah. So it might be a little cumbersome with the sticks, but it's doable. I mean, you have that same problem with uh, Super Mario 3D All-Stars, which I think is up to 5 million units sold now. This was Nintendo. This is Mario 64, uh, one of the gaming's biggest classics. We had Super Mario Sunshine, maybe not critically acclaimed, but holds a great place in many people's hearts. And then you have Mario Galaxy, one of the best platformers critically and commercially and yet five million copies now you can say oh they limited the time you know it was from the fall to the spring and after that they stopped selling it but still it's surprising that it didn't sell more yeah i like yes the whole limited edition thing is probably part of it but you'd think they would have like i literally went down to best buy the other day it's still on the shelf. Well, those were already printed, which means people didn't run out to buy them at the end. Exactly. So, yeah. so you don't have to pay a scalper price just yet. Right. It's this weird thing of, I think they thought the demand would be higher than it actually was for that specific game. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, that specific game of like, arguably a lazy port, onto their best-selling system is kind of in the realm that Skyward Sword is in. Yeah. So something like more 
resource hungry like Link's Awakening, like an actual remake from the ground up, mm-hmm. takes more effort. That that kind of quality shows more. Yeah, like so. like to me, it seemed like the producer was really into the remake. Where whereas for the promotion for Skyward Sword, he's like, oh, here's Skyward Sword. We've done a few button stuff to it, but it's gonna be just as you remember it from the Wii U title uh, from the Wii game. Uh, enjoy. Now on to Breath of the Wild 2. Right. It, it definitely shows, but also it might be like they didn't really want to put it out there. It was mm-hmm. more like a thing to tide over people because Japan has been hit hard with COVID. They're oh, not yeah. in a good place. Yeah. So when it comes to game development, they're very much slowed down. And it's understandable mm-hmm. for them to make like a lazy port just to appease people who say, yo, there's no games available. What's there to play? Like, throw them a bone. Yeah. But yeah, Nintendo's but, E3 footage seemed pretty good. I mean, tight yeah. 40-minute show, showed a bunch of good games, big standouts. And mostly, it was only Breath of the Wild 2 that was not for this year. Everything else shown was this for year. For this year. And we have a vague 2022 for Breath of the Wild 2. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that's going to be a fall game because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine that too. Or even push to 2023. The thing I, is... I highly expect 2023. Yeah, the thing is that we known the rumored Switch Pro. That one is highly tied to Breath of the Wild 2. Because oh, we know that, it is. That, that type of game will benefit greatly from added hardware. But the thing is, you can delay a game. You can push that schedule. It's hard to delay hardware. Because yeah. that has a six to eight month lead time of... Hey, here's the SOC. Hey, start building them. Hey, months out, start shipping them to the U.S. And, and so, God and God help you when the factory worker takes a picture of the hardware and spreads it onto the internet for everyone to see. I mean, yeah, you have those leaks, but I'm thinking more of like Xbox Series consoles, how they were supposed to have Halo, but even Halo is not in uh, Halo's uh, delay wasn't enough to stop that ship. The literal oh, no. ship from coming here with the oh, consoles. No. Yeah. So, on to Microsoft news, since we're on Xbox. Yes. yes. One of the be- biggest news stories that came out be- right before their E3 showcase was that xCloud finally come to PC and Xbox consoles. Currently, it was only on mobile, on mm-hmm. through an Android app and through the web app for iOS, which I've tried. It works pretty well. And now it's finally coming to PCs and Xbox consoles. And they announced a new streaming stick for TVs. Not a specific one, but that they're working on that type of product. That it will come pre-installed with TVs, and there will be peripherals that you can plug in that just work. And honestly, seems totally like the smart move. You know, Why should this type of streaming that isn't inherently limited by... A console be limited to consoles i wonder right. sony why you would limit your streaming service only to that <laughs> and then finally xcloud will start running on series console hardware in the back end meaning Ooh. that we will get those faster chips to run on the actual azure servers so your plates you're playing it was interesting when they showed off the Series X hardware that you could divide a Series X 
perfectly into four Xbox One S's. It was designed to virtualize that hardware into four regular Xboxes, but now they're going all in on series hardware, meaning, hey, you have the full speed. One thing to note is I think it'll be more Series S than Series X because, you know, when you're streaming off the internet, like, you don't need the high resolution. You know, you can get away with just 1080p or even lower than that when you're streaming video. And uh, it doesn't show as well. So that's a good sign. They have, I'm sure when they were designing the Series hardware, they were thinking about this in the back of their heads. Like, hey... We have the cloud service. We just need to make sure it work in plug and play. Now, the obvious one that they, the obvious use case they had said was demos. You buy a game, hey, try it before you buy it. You don't need to download this whole thing, you know, quickly start it up or even start the game up before, while it's downloading to your console. So you can just play right away, pick up where you left off once it's done. But here comes the big juggernaut, which is that, hey, if it's on all Xbox consoles and the back end is a series hardware, why can't an Xbox One play series games? And truth is, it can. And this is a brilliant move by Microsoft. The fact that, hey, you have people who are not willing to upgrade their new hardware. They want to play the games that are locked to only Series X and Series X. Let them play through the cloud. Maybe they'll get into it so much that they'll think, Man, I really want that series console now. This is so smart. That's actually some very 4D chess moves right there. Yeah, what what's interesting is Google said the same thing about like, you know, upgrading hardware in the back end, but uh we n- didn't bother listening. No. Like, no. You couldn't you couldn't get like the first hardware working, so who cares? Hey, at least there we know that when they announce this that means it can actually work. I, for one, love this and think like games like Flight Simulator are going to work great. To have a game that's like 30 frames per second, you don't need 4K, you just need ray tracing. Everything mm-hmm. works fine. It doesn't matter if there's a little bit of lag. You just want to enjoy the view. This is, works perfectly for that. All right. So that's on the xCloud. Why don't we talk about what Xbox had on the actual software to show off? Right, and to start off, we had Todd Howard come out from Bethesda. Oh, my God. Yeah, to have him speak first and give a release date for one of the big, most anticipated games out of Bethesda, Starfield, which I 100% believe is getting delayed. There's no way they're keeping this date. Oh, yeah. That thing's going to be delayed until next... Not even 2022. It's going to be 2024, probably. Yeah, I, I truly believe that, too. Um, the, the one hope is they shouldn't be, pe- pe- they shouldn't be penalized for that. Cause like no. Microsoft doesn't care too much. No. They're like, just like, just make it good. Yeah. Like, because Microsoft owns them now, they're like, take your time, take your time. Because if this was Bethesda, uh, even a year or two ago, they would be under the clock. Yeah. They would have to be, there would be beholden to shareholders to say, Hey, do we have anything for this year we need money somehow to fund the other games we're working on so yeah it's good to be in this situation where hey take your time just make it good and as long as it's good it's gonna make us our money eventually 
And uh, uh, you forgot to mention the other big thing about Starfield is that it is exclusive to Microsoft. Oh, right. That was a very big deal that I completely neglected because I thought, obviously, it's exclusive to Microsoft. But now looking back, yeah, there was that debate over whether it would be or not. Like, uh, I kind of expected it to be exclusive because it's a new IP. But I'm expecting, like, they did say it was going to be on a case-by-case basis. But like, also, I- they never, ever mentioned PlayStation. They said other systems. Ah, that's true. Yeah, so it's one of those things like, hey, Outer Wilds 2 was announced. Outer Wilds 1 was on PlayStation 4, Switch, PC. What if Outer Wilds 2 is on Switch? What's to stop them? That's true. <laughs> and and I kind of feel like the Machine Games is uh, Indiana Jones game. Those are the mm-hmm. Wolfenstein people. Mm-hmm. I have a suspicion that is going to be a PlayStation game because they had to have arranged the deal years before to even do it. Uh, it's very questionable if Sony... Sorry, if Disney had required that. You know, we know MLB wanted MLB The Show to be on both systems. Um, the deal with Spider-Man being only on one system was fine because, you know, it's Sony, Sony. kind of owns PlayStation. Sony kind of owns Spider-Man in the movie side, so... Yeah, so they were they in a position like to... They were in a position to get the game license in that same situation. Sure, but, but we Indi- also had um, Marvel's Avengers Assemble. Hey, Ultimate yeah, Avengers. Ultimate right? Avengers. Uh, yeah. It's just Marvel's Avengers. No, 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 no. Not Square Enix. The Nintendo oh. Switch. Oh, that. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, um, Ultimate Alliance. Ultimate Alliance. That's the one. Where it was a Nintendo Switch exclusive. And I guess Nintendo could have like negotiated for that. But it doesn't seem like Disney cares so much if it is exclusive or not. I think right. they just so. want a studio to work on it. That'll make so. it good. Yeah, so we'll we'll see how the Indiana Jones thing pans out, but but definitely something like Fallout and Elder Scrolls, I feel like they'd have a riot if they kept it strictly Microsoft. It's a very weird place because when was the last game though? Like Fallout seventy six, Fallout four, they didn't set the world on fire, especially no. on the PlayStation side. And Elder Scrolls Skyrim, what, PS three? Elder Scrolls Online, but... Yeah, like, I can see there's logic in it, but the fact that those were two franchises that released on previous systems beforehand, I just kind of feel like, do you really want to have that headache later? I wonder if... What would be the headache, though? Because it wouldn't hurt Xbox's sales in any sort of way. No, it's just giving people the option. Yeah, and Xbox definitely wants to be seen as that good guy that doesn't want to hold exclusives, but has to be, has to be clear, like, they have to give an option, they have to give a reason to go with Xbox and yeah. Game Pass. And just to be clear, all these games, they're on PC. Are all going to be on game, they're going to be on PC, and they're all going to be on Game Pass. I gotta Day tell one. you, looking at the showcase, it was just, hey, what are you adding to my subscription? What are you giving me? What are you giving me? It's not... Oh, do I want to buy it or not? It's, yeah, I'll probably play it. Oh, yep, I'm definitely going to play that, that, Mm -hmm. that, and that for $15 a month. That's ridiculous. $10 a month if you don't want unlimited. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a weird pricing scheme where it's ten dollars for Xbox Game Pass, ten dollars for PC Game Pass, and then fifteen for Game Pass Ultimate. It's Xbox, PC, and EA Play. Ah, okay. Yeah. So on to games we're so excited about. Halo Infinite showing multiplayer. Yes. Did Free you... to play multiplayer. Free Cross to play. play. Cross play. Mo- <laughs> we're just repeating each other. But, like, it's so good. We're so excited. And they showed um, the type of footage that gets us super excited of, like, using that um, was that hook on their arm oh, yeah. to go onto uh, vehicles mm-hmm. and enter them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I love mm-hmm. this type of combat. It's, li- it's like, yes, yes, give it to me. I want this. Give it to yes. me. Yes. And it oh. must be said, for all the flaws Halo 5 had, it's multiplayer was top notch, easily top notch. And then of course yeah. we got we have the new Hori- uh, Forza Horizon. That's gonna yeah, be Forza set Horizon at, Five, and that's gonna be set in Mexico. Yeah, which is looked- a it's a smart decision for Mexico. One, Xbox has a huge presence in South America mm-hmm. and Central America. Two, that place looks awesome. Yes, and also the. The footage they showed off just looks amazing, and I keep thinking to myself, do these people relax? Do these right. people ever... This is coming we... out this year. We just got an announcement, and it's coming out this fall with a whole new setting, all this detail. What's wrong do, with them? Do these people ever heard of a thing called vacation time? I really hope so. I hope they didn't have to crunch for it, but I'm just shocked. I, I hope I hope they didn't crunch. That's I know. Look, look. No game needs to have crunch at right. the end of the day. Like we, uh, we're surprised. Like we would be fine if this game was coming out next year. Absolutely. Yeah. But and this year, I know. And knowing How did that, that their <laughs> playground is also working on Fable. Yeah, they that it. too. Yeah, yeah, they announced it's, that. It's, it's just kind of wild. And then of course, Arcane Studios. Uh, well, Arcane Studios, the guys behind Dishonored, they have a new game. Yeah, this is what we all knew as Omen. But it's called Redfall. Interesting. Um, Four-player, multiplayer shooter against zombies. Uh, there have been memes about saying, you know, this whole E3 is full of multiplayer games. What happens if you don't have friends? That's what I say. <laughs> uh, well, it's not technically zombies. It is vampires. Big difference. Oh my God, I, I'm, I misspoke. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, you're fine. Vampires. Makes more sense with, like, the bullets that are stakes. Yeah. Right to their hearts. Yeah, so that's going to be an interesting spin on the whole idea. Because, hey, vampires aren't mindless zombies. They actually think. Mm. Another, to get back to zombies, we had Back for Blood coming out of the same guys who had done Left for Dead. Uh, didn't put it on the docket, but it is a game that had already been announced. The main thing is, it's on Game Pass. This game that's going to be four-player co-op gets a huge bump from Game Pass now. Yeah. There, I want to talk about another game that I saw called Replaced. That's mm-hmm. this 2D side-scroller game that's going to be on Game Pass as well. It looks phenomenal. It's a pixel art, 2D action platformer that looks like a cyberpunk dystopia. And, oh, that one. And you're climbing up, built, climbing up the side of the building in a neon-soaked mm-hmm. rainfall. Then you're mm-hmm. just kind of doing parkour jumping off uh pipes and stuff and then when they show the fight footage 
you're shooting your gun and then you're rolling over an enemy and then whacking them from behind. I mean, it 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 honestly sounds a lot like Transistor, like Supergiant, Hades, and like it honestly, looks. It's like what would happen if a Transistor game was a t- a pure two D side scroller, <laughs> because it looks very fluid. Mm. And the art style is just gorgeous. Yeah, what we did see was this huge range of games from like different mm-hmm. genres, different styles, all on Game Pass. And it's nice to know that, you know, this is really a shot at PlayStation that every game doesn't have to be an over-the-shoulder third-person action game. That's very cinematic looking and doesn't it usually involve a kid's sidekick. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> Let's talk about one this uh, other game, uh, Battlefield 2042. So I wanted to tie this to Back for Blood. This Back for Blood was this uh, multiplayer game that's going to benefit hugely from Game Pass. Battlefield 2042 is multiplayer only. Mm-hmm. It's not on Game Pass. Mm-hmm. But one interesting thing is, you know, this is EA. They yeah. it will eventually be on EA Play, and for Game yes. Pass Ultimate members, they will get it. The question becomes when. Because this will benefit greatly if you could get more players on it. I genuinely, I agree with you. Like, if you're not, if it's going to be pure multiplayer only, you probably should include it on uh, the EA Play so that more people can see it. And then you can add it to Game Pass and stuff. And that way, everybody can try it out. Right. Uh, EA did this similar thing with their originals from Valen, uh, Knockout City, a dodgeball game. That is super fun, and they kept it free for EA Play members. And for non-EA Play members, it's you know twenty bucks. But that made it so it's a it's always crossplay, and you see a huge chunk of the Xbox population playing that game constantly because you know there's just enough Game Pass Ultimate members that have it, tried it, love it, like me, and just stick with it. It's good to foster this population for a multiplayer game. You know, even if there aren't quite as many players on other platforms, as long as you have one platform that's stable with enough of a player base and it's cross-play, it can last for a while. And so I am very interested to see if that announcement comes out that, hey, Battlefield 2042 is just free for EA Play members. Or, hey, oh, it's been six months. Yeah, we've got enough money out of people who are willing to pay. Time to put it on free. And I wonder how this works because... If charging $70 for this multiplayer-only game is going to be a really hard sell. And what I'm worried about is just because the studio, sorry, the publisher decides how to sell this game, it may seem as a failure. Even though, by all accounts, had it been on EA Play getting that user base, it would have been an absolute success. Yeah, like... Like it, like, it looks phenomenal, and I think <laughs> it's definitely going to make money for EA. But the question is, how much money are they going to try and get out of it before they put it onto EA Play? Right. The, the hardest thing is to think, like, you know, Knockout City, 20 bucks. If it wasn't free, to, if they didn't release it that way, where it was free to level 25 or free for 10 days or free for EA Play members, all of which Knockout City did, it wouldn't get this type of population, and it wouldn't be something people talk about, and it wouldn't be a success. It's only because of the way they put it out there, and Battlefield 2042 is forced 
to be a $70 game, I think you're putting mm-hmm. it out in a really bad situation where nothing good can come out of it. Right. It's always going to fail expectations. And it's not that it fails. It fails to meet the expectations the publisher set. And that's sort of the catch-22 of the whole situation, isn't it? Yeah, and what's also interesting is Halo and Battlefield, they're going to be coming out around the same time. Mm-hmm. They're going to really focus on multiplayer. You know, Halo Infinite has the campaign, but they are separating out the multiplayer and making that part free-to-play. And they're trying to say, hey, the way we care or we're going to make money is through a battle pass, which yeah. I believe is, like, the way to go. But mm-hmm. it'll time will tell, like, which one ends up being the better... Uh, method and it might be enough for ea to rethink their plans of hey maybe we should release this with as many people with the lowest barrier to entry and get people on a battle pass i'm sure they're looking at things like uh apex legends their current free-to-play game from uh response uh entertainment that hey how is free-to-play in uh a battle pass going for them is it making nearly as much to cover this budget? I don't know. Battlefield has a bigger name tied to it, at least. Right. Like, I kind of feel like Halo kind of justifies being able to do it because it's Halo. With Battlefield, I kind of feel like it does need to make a little bit of bank, but it is going to be a little. It's going to be a little interesting to see because they have a lot of interesting gameplay hooks for 2042. Like, you can customize the gun as you're playing on the battlefield, not when you respawn. Oh, I'm sorry. Are we not talking about the flight suit through a, a tornado? A hurricane? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Sandstorm. grappling hook. Sandstorms Ugh. in Dubai. Ugh. Like, it is going to be a wild game. It is great. And the fact that on console you'll have 128 players. That is fantastic. That, to me, is the most exciting part of it. Like, mm. flight suits, tornadoes. Uh, customizing your gun on the fly that's all good well and good but 128 people it is going to be awesome yeah but the the thing you had mentioned like halo is allowed to do this type of rollout because halo i think because it's not halo anymore that it's allowed to do this type of rollout because people keep questioning like is halo important enough does halo matter anymore because it doesn't have that online presence as it once did and I think because Microsoft is so desperate to keep it on the minds of people, like, hey, no, this is still a AAA franchise, that they're willing to put it out there for free. I think that's where the point is, like, Battlefield hasn't failed quite as much before. And that's not to say that, hey, Battlefield's in a better place than Halo. I think they're in the same place. I just don't think Battlefield was ever as high as Halo, so the fall wasn't as big, so EA isn't sweating as much. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. Yeah, it's gonna, yeah, but who would you say had the stronger e- E3 presence? Would you say Microsoft or would you say Nintendo? I it's a very hard question because we we like to think of this as a numbers type right. of podcast like hey, which one did better for their business? I mean, I would think it would be Microsoft because their business is Game Pass and mm-hmm. they have really shown like Hey, yeah, I know we said we would put everything on our subscription, so people thought uh, maybe the games will get worse because, you know, it's a subscription. But no, we're going to keep it, and we're going to double down. They're justifying to their 
uh, subscribers who we'll call investors that, hey, you're go definitely going to get all your money's worth. And mm -hmm. I feel like Nintendo also won in the uh, also did what it needed to do by appealing to its more traditional fan base. Like I think Nintendo was in a harder place because of COVID and everything, mm -hmm. and they did the best they could with these. When we look at like the biggest things, oh, Breath of the Wild, Skyward Sword, Metroid Dread, Super Par Mario Party Superstars even was you know, taking things from older games. Yeah. Like, they really struggled to come up with anything new, but they really pulled from their IP, which is what Nintendo does best, because they kind of had to. It You're wasn't right. that they really wanted to. And right. so Nintendo was very smart about what they did. It makes sense to focus on everything coming out this year. You don't want to make promises that'll get pushed forward and, and get delayed. So Nintendo... I don't know for, if for Nintendo fans if this is the best thing because as much as people want these remakes, they want a new Metroid, they want all these. The question still remains like, if you focus on this, are you taking away from the real special Nintendo type games? Remember, Nintendo is a type that said, hey, we don't want a sequel to, the, to like Luigi's Mansion because we don't think we can do anything new in the gameplay, you know? We already mm -hmm. did everything. It's only recently that they started opening themselves up to sequels when they realized it's hard to design new gameplay every yeah. time. Like that, that's sort of like how I feel about, I feel like that's how I feel about uh, Breath, uh, going from Skyward Sword to Breath of the Wild. They kind of pigeonholed themselves and made that game super linear, uh, mm -hmm. hand-holding and all that to justify the sword play. Mm-hmm. And with Breath of the Wild, I feel like they kind of did went in the complete opposite direction where mm -hmm. they gave you a lot of sandbox gameplay. You could manipulate things in various ways with the tools they gave you. Yeah, very you physics even... based. So like very... you could do stuff that isn't really designed to be done, but hey, still fun. And also you don't even technically have to do the dungeons in that game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very free form, but I felt like it might have been too free form. I feel like Breath of the Wild is an interesting choice. Well, at least the sequel is an, is an interesting choice. Because, yes, you are taking the same idea, making it bigger or just in a new place. But the the kind of ideas you introduce in the first game, you can build off that. That physics-based puzzle solving, you can really be creative with that. And yeah. it creates this type of platform where, yeah, you can come up with new gameplay mechanics. We saw it with, like... Link turning into a water drop going backwards up. Yeah, and which going looks into incredible. The... Yeah, that looked pretty amazing. And you also had a, a flamethrower type weapon on his left arm. Mm -hmm. And if you paid attention to the trailer, you saw that his right arm is deformed and has the Sheikah Slake now attached to it as a bracer. Interesting. I didn't catch all those details, but it's very in. Uh, We've seen Nintendo kind of forced to not be themselves, and fans mm -hmm. truly happy about it. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it'll pay off in the long term. No, they like need to go back to the original Nintendo. Like short term, it's fine because well, COVID, I, COVID. But I think long term, I, like I know somebody who's a big F Zero fan and really wants a sequel, and I'm of the two minds where I understand that he wants a follow-up, but what else can you do? It's a great, well, what else can you do with that? It's interesting you brought that up. There was a huge rumor that like retro is 
mixing together Star Fox and F-Zero. And I think, well, that's something new you can do. Add combat to it. But what's very interesting is, hey, that's where Mario Kart came out of. It was supposed to be a multiplayer mode for F-Zero. And they're like, oh, this is way more fun as a Mario racer. So we'll huh. see. There is always something to be done. It just feels like, can they challenge themselves to be that creative? And does creativity happen when you're that successful? Or does it really happen when you take risks when your back is against the wall? Like, maybe and... we need to see Nintendo in that Wii U place where it's barely selling anything. Oh, it's not doing well. And they have to innovate just to survive. Yeah, and it also... But also, as a counterpoint, when you do try to do that system where, okay, where can we take this gameplay uh, and do something creatively different with it? How different can you be to try and continue your IP? It's very weird where I don't think the, the gameplay in video games, the gameplay doesn't get tied to the IP. It is absolutely what the game is what i mean to say is hey god of war got rebooted from god of war all the way up to three and uh, the psp ps vita titles until the latest reboot changed the gameplay up all of a sudden it was over the shoulder more like a fighting game style yeah. defending parrying like, style like i guess what i should have said is that what are the elements that make it a game that game that you can take it in a creative a new creative direction but still have that dna like it's you bring up god of war that was more devil may cry inspired hack and slash before mm -hmm. the reimagining with norse mythology mm -hmm. and while no, the, the new game has the more parrying over the shoulder much more cinematic look mm -hmm. it's still uh at the it's still in its core dna hacking and slashing from a different angle it's difficult to say that in the sense like yeah you're slashing but how you're doing it what you're yeah. focused on that type of moment-to-moment -moment gameplay can easily change like nintendo right. can easily change that it's just yeah like you said what is this game about because if mario does mario fit in a 2d um xcom style game maybe well we know yes because of mario and Ra plus Ra rabbit's Rabbit. kingdom battle which is getting a sequel thanks to ubisoft like like, I feel like Mario's probably the great exception to this sort of thing because they can do whatever they want with him and still try and make it fit. But Mega Man went through that, too, where it went from a 2D shooter mm. to a uh, turn-based battle network, uh, those games. But, yeah, but that was a pretty popular sub-series. It, right. an it had an anime, too. Yeah, but... it. That change was allowed. And it's not that only Mario can do it. Other characters are able to do it. It, it, it is very much a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah. But I think more than likely, like, Nintendo can see that, hey, they can use their current franchises in this new style, and they'll be okay. Right. It doesn't mean, like, many people will be so angry, at, as long as the game's good. You know, like, yeah. if the game is bad and you change too much, sure. There's, like, mm -hmm. reasons why people say you're killing the franchise. But if the game is good, even if you go in a complete opposite direction, it still benefits the IP. Xbox on this side where it really doesn't care too much what type of genres it has. It wants 
as much as it can get, mm-hmm. but it's in a great position where it's attracting odd uh, genres. Think like Double Fine, adventure games. Like right. It's attracting these studios, studios that can't sell under the normal Sony model of third-person action game. They, Microsoft provides a place for them to make uh, success. Like, at the moment, like, we should all point out that we don't technically know what Sony is cooking up. Like, we know God of War, whatever that subtitle is going to be called. Ra- we'll call it Ragnarok for now. Yeah. But we, we have a general we idea We know about Horizon that. Forbidden West. We know Sucker. Go- Sucker Punch is doing a Ghost of Tsushima sequel, guaranteed. Or some sort of follow-up. Maybe not a true sequel, but definitely mm-hmm. something akin we to We know that. we have a multiplayer game based on Last of Us Part Two coming. Mm-hmm. But again, we do, we should, like, I don't want to go ahead and say they're kind of pigeonholed by the third-person action game aesthetic just yet. Like, we should see wait to see what they're going to do in the I next think few months. they have found that style works well. Um, even playing Ghost of Tsushima, I see the Uncharted and Last of Us um, elements that were bled into that game. It mm-hmm. works well enough for them. They learn storytelling. They learn animation that they can share among studios. But they have learned to differentiate the story so much. Right. Just to like, keep it interesting. Yeah. So. But what, but I'm I'm actually really excited to see where Microsoft is at this moment. Like mm-hmm. you're seeing a very diverse range of genres and studios. You got all the Western RPGs. You got the shooters. You got the indies. I'd say you should. We could be a little envious of Microsoft at the moment. I think um, the the feeling has been through many influencers that like people don't play their PlayStation Five as much as they thought, but people keep playing their Xbox. I know personally, me between me and my friends who all have Game Pass, we we get bored of something. There's always something else to play. Mm-hmm. The library keeps growing with the Bethesda acquisition, with EA Play. Like, there's so many games that we definitely have missed that we can pick up and play. And it be on top of that, it's a great media player. Mm-hmm. So people have complained a lot about, like, HBO Max's UI, and Xbox seems to be the one that people complain the least about mm-hmm. um, with how that runs. The fact that all the apps from Xbox One work on Xbox Series instantly, and Sony is the one fumbling around with like new apps, new UIs for different systems. And also the fact that you don't have SSD expansion quite yet for PlayStation 5. I mean, for streaming apps, I guess it doesn't matter. For games, no, they, yeah. they kind of have a safety net where like you could mm-hmm. put PS5 games on an external drive, finally. Yeah, like... I get, mm-hmm. I get the feeling when there are more PS5 games, they're gonna have to do that. But uh, it's, it's just, it, it's a weird, it's a weird position. Like, I, I kind of find myself in that same boat too, where I'm playing the PlayStation for the exclusive stuff, mm-hmm. and everything else I've got on my PC, mm-hmm. including the Game Pass. And mm-hmm. I, and I know I was a bit of a skeptic before, but I tried it, the free trial, and I was like. Okay, I see what he's talking about now. Mm. Yeah, it, it's remarkable to be in that position where you have hundreds of games, many you haven't played, many you want to play, and just be like, 
Okay, well, I guess I'm just sticking with this. Everything else seems to work fine, too. Playing Blu-rays, playing media, like, huh. It's a very weird one because you would think PlayStation would be the one that, you know, the gamers play. But yeah. Microsoft is in this weird position where it might, it may not have the user base, but the users that are there are very into it. And like the users I, are also on PC. Like, I mainly use the PS5. Uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I mainly use the PS5 as my media player, as well as the exclusives. And I do have a few third-party games as well, but I find myself going to my PC a lot more going through my back catalog mm. when it comes to some of those games as well as the Game Pass. Yeah. Like, I got, like I got the Game Pass to do Zombie Army 4 with a few friends a while back, and it was like, huh, this is actually really nice. Yeah, and the none game... of yeah, and none of them have a PS5, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then always the push towards crossplay. How we there's this wasn't a story we had touched on, but Sony it came out during Epic deals that Sony pays requires payment for crossplay, but PC and Xbox don't. So whenever there is an opportunity for crossplay, it's way more likely that PC, Xbox, Switch, mobile can all play together, except PlayStation because they're the top dogs and they can want that exclusivity. It it just makes this great ecosystem that Microsoft has created without burning bridges. Like, they have their own store on PC, but mm-hmm. they still release everything on Steam. Mm-hmm. And one, you could say it's for money because it definitely pays off. But two, mm-hmm. it's not forcing people into their tight-knit ecosystem. ecosystem. Yeah. Just, just being on Windows is enough for them. To say like, hey, you have an account. Hey, you have friends you can talk to over Xbox. Yeah, so. So all all in all, I would think Xbox kind of won E3 in the sense like Mm -hmm. people are starting to take Game Pass very seriously. Nintendo put one hell of a showing. Um, Sony wasn't there. but Yeah. (laughs) Like, I get the feeling Sony is probably going to wait a little towards the end of the year to show off something. Mm -hmm. Like... Prop, I like I heard something in July because EA is doing their conference next month. But mm. if there was going to be a Sony thing, we would have heard some inkling of it by now. Mm-hmm. One so. last thing I wanted to touch on was one of the, there were many many bad conferences for, on E3 because the ESA just wanted something there. But yeah. one of the more bigger ones was Square Enix, and out of that ah, whole conference, yes. we. The biggest thing we got, Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. I think it looks great. I think it looks great. It it just kind of it looked like it needs a little bit of a spit and shine though to me. I think we're it's at that point where, for me, it's a telltale game essentially, mm-hmm. with much better gameplay. Yeah. And for me, that feels like enough. Like the thing that they were nailing the dialogue, was exactly what I cared about. You know, and and it's and it's Idos Montreal too. Like that whole sort of uh, making choices and consequence thing. That's in their DNA mm-hmm. because the day it sucks, right? And I think it's a great fit for them. Uh, but so, I think that that one was one of the standouts from yeah. any other conference, right? But I still think Xbox One E three. I agree. Inch- it's not over. We have a whole summer's worth of more conferences coming out. Some more news will come out. And, of course, there's still Sony to keep our eyes on. So 
we'll see if they stick with that. So um, that's the our Behind the Budget podcast. Paul, I hope to see you again soon. Good night and good luck.